0: After the millennial reign of Jesus, the eternal state begins with the new heavens and the new earth. Frankly, there's just not a lot of information in the scriptures about the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal state. There are some things that we do know, though. The believer will be eternally happy and perfectly content forever. We will have a body that will be fit for heaven, made for heaven. You right now you have a body that's made for earth, and it's broken down, unfortunately. In heaven you'll have a body that's made for heaven. We have eternal life in heaven. We need a body that can live for eternity. So it will be a very special body. Now here in Jerusalem, in the UK state, which we will be the most magnificent city ever to see and that's why Bruce was at, in college at Texas State, he studied urban planning and how, how communities can put certain green belts in. There should be lakes and drainage and all those things. Well, there's been nothing left in Jerusalem. Never will be anything like it. going be beyond our imagination. But as the specifics, quite honestly, we just don't have a lot of specifics about the eternal state. That's why I joke on occasion, about the irrelevance of any book on the eternal space, it's about 300 pages as long well, because it would be mostly conjecture. Some of it's good conjecture, some of it's thoughtful conjecture, but it's conjecture nonetheless. But this we do know. We will live forever in the presence of our Creator and enjoy unbroken fellowship with Him. And it will be beyond wonder. I always felt that among those who have attempted to write about the equal state in heaven, in an almost poetic way, I think C.S. Lewis might have done at least one of the best jobs, with respect to that, among the things that he said about the equal state, which I find comforting, he said to every soul, God will look like it's first love because he is his first love." Your place in heaven will seem to be made for you, and for you alone, because you were made for it, made for it stitch by stitch, as a glove is made for a hand. I'm with this on that. Your place in heaven will be designed especially for you. You Remember what Jesus said just hours before His arrest. He said, "I go to prepare a place." Think about that for just a moment. The impact of just that statement. Jesus, who's a member of the Trinity, that's the of creation. Jesus knows your every thought. He knows what you're going to think next. He knows what every cell in your body is. He knows what your desires are. He knows what your likes are and your dislikes. And He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you don't think it's going to be the perfect place? It will be. It will be magnificent. Beyond know, any of our imaginations, we don't know specifically as much as we would like to know about that. But we do know that it will be wonderful. Whatever it will be, it will be wonderful. Some years back, I was on the front porch of Robin J. Byers' house, and Rob and I were walking Pete Steyerwald, who used to be to the trendy KCB, out to his car. Pete was talking about his dear friendly what the eternal state would be like. And he said, I know there's no marriage in heaven. And, and he said, I just can't imagine heaven being heaven without being able to hug much earlier. And I said to you, I can't tell you exactly what heaven's going to be like. And I don't know how God's going to work that out, but I do know that the relationship to the house for the end is heaven is to be better than the one that you Whatever the equivalent of a hug is in heaven, it's going to be better than whatever it is we're we have to trust God, Jesus, who went to prepare a place for us, specifically for each of us, uniquely for each of us. We have to trust Him to know exactly what's going to bring us maximum fulfillment, because that's what exactly is going to happen. In Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. There's apparently no sea on the New Earth. We do know there's a river that runs out of the New Jerusalem, but that doesn't mean that those who love the water are going to be left like out. There'll be something. If there's no beach, there's something better for you. There. When John speaks. Of a new heaven, these new heavens and new earth, he's not likely referring to a new abode of God. He's most likely referring to the heavens, what we refer to the heavens when we look out at the night sky. But the new heavens in that sense in the new earth, most likely not a new abode for God. That's not making itself a new house. He's making a new universe, as it were. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. The new Jerusalem is a new creation. Some people speculate, and it's only speculation, that perhaps that's where the resurrected saints from the church age, there is a Jerusalem, in the uh, heavens, and perhaps that's where the, the saints spend their time in punctuality, I don't know. That's pure speculation. In fact, once you read through Revelation, you to see a lot that's been written about this is pure speculation. We just have to say, once again, whatever it is, it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be so much better. More no details on the New Jerusalem in just a moment, but it does describe the New Jerusalem in as a bride adorned for her husband. One thing I noticed about brides, I've never seen one that didn't do their best to look their best on their wedding day. In fact, when I son David was married a few years ago over near Austin, I remember that all the ladies. Got together, I think the wedding went to three or four years. the They all got together at about eight o'clock in the morning I and mean, so they started having, you know, they had somebody come in and do their nails. You know, and they had special hair people come in and do everybody's hair. Then they had a makeup artist and they kind of just made that bride, or the, just the bride's maids rather, and the people in the wedding party just took the dinner so they possibly could here, oh And there was the bride. And she had her special hairdresser that been devoted to her, and medicare, all all those things. She wanted to look her absolute best on her wedding day. And that's the description of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. It's almost like we're at a wedding and the wedding march starts to be played. And we turn and everyone stands. And I think what's supposed to happen, this is what I understand. that The mother of the bride is sort of everybody's supposed to watch her. And when she stands and turns around, everybody else stands and turns around and looks back at the bride being walked down the aisle. Traditionally, by her father, if he's still living, a brother, or someone else, if he's not, and everybody just looks at the bride just with eyes, and that's the way that this new Jerusalem should be looked at as it comes down out of heaven. Again, more on that in just a moment. In verse three, and I heard a whole loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the tabernacle of God is among them, and He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them." This morning we say that Christ has a superior priesthood because He ministers in a superior place. The sanctuary is in heaven. Now, in the eternal state, that sanctuary is going to be on earth. It won't be a temple because Jesus is here with us forever. He shall be among His people. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no longer any death. There shall be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This perhaps some translations by me. The old things have passed away. Now, if you've been to in the Indian Memorial Service that I've done, you've heard me quote that verse about people right now in eternity. Because there is a sense in which they're in that state right now. They've left the things of work. They've left the death, death and disease and sickness and sin. They've left all that behind already. But this is where the passage actually occurs. Is in Revelation 21 as the new state begins. But I do think it's very bad I don't know if you want to write somebody a card after the death of a lover and put this verse. It is very bad to put this first because there is a sense in which this is a reality even now for our loved ones that are in heaven. And instead of sharing this one, I know you have loved ones that are in heaven, right? Now right. verses yeah. five and six, and He who sits on the throne said, "Behold, I am making all things new." And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without They often also you wonder why this is mentioned here in the state. But sometimes the way prophecy reads, you may have something that seems like it's in the present here but this is for the leaders of this book. Of you don't need that in eternity. We already had eternal life at that point. But Jesus is willing to give eternal life to anyone who would but receive it without cost, without cost to you, because He paid for the full cost And so, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. That's how, in the Greek man uh, that's how they would have expressed eternity i the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the, end, and the, an the beginning and the end. In the Greek mind, was eternal statement. It's the beginning and the end, and He even says it here: I will give to the one who first from the spring of water oh, so that He who overcomes shall have these things, and I will be his God, if he will be my son. And this has put a lot very much like the covenant of the morning, this is beyond the morning. This is on into eternity, in verse seven. The blessings of the overcomer are an interesting topic in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, I consider that all believers are overcomers in the sense that John is using the Bible. There were things that were promised in those two chapters to the overcomer that are true of everyone to has self-reported I am more than aware that there are differences among theologians and pastors, even in our circles, with respect to this. But in my view, the bulk of the evidence points to this term overpower in Revelation being used of all believers. And in fact, the way John uses the term in first John, it's used a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you come across difficult issues, in the interpretation of Scripture. Sometimes you're not going to get the certainty that you would like to have. You may not get 100% certainty with respect to your interpretation, but you need to go with, I guess, what a with legal, if you know, it was a criminal trial, I remember mean, I was a, you know, a trial one time, was it wasn't my trial, I was on the jury, that's the case that case. If we're going to convict, we have to convict beyond a reasonable doubt. And In this case, we were way beyond know, the reasonable doubt. So, <laughs> to me, that's beyond the only reasonable doubt. Well, sometimes when you're making an interpretive choice, you have to make a choice that's the best possible choice you can make based upon the evidence. So, for those, even in our church, who take a strong view that the overcomer is one who is a victorious Christian, I say you're perfectly entitled to that view. But there's a certain bulk of data that you've got to do something with. And I just don't see how you do it. And that goes all the way back to, Jen, to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. But here we have the term again. He who overcomes, and I understand this as a believer, Saint same term will inherit these things. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. The contrast in between here and verse 8 is between believers and non-believers. In verse 8, that for the Calvary and lending and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and burns from, which is the second death. Now, you will when he was speaking to the churches, the overcomer wouldn't be hurt by the second death. Here we have a contrast. In one verse, we're saying that the overcomer will inherit the new Jerusalem. The overcomer will inherit all these things. God will be the overcomer's God. And we will be God's son. On the other hand, the one that's not an overcomer is described as probably unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all in our lives. Their part will be in the lake of fire. This is one of those pieces of data that's really difficult to get around. These are people who are going to the lake of fire. Now, why are they called deceits? Let's skip the unbelieving from there, but abominable murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars? Well, do believers commit murder? Yes, they can. Do believers robbery? Yes, they do, on occasion. Are believers sorcerers? I don't know if that happens that often, but I guess quickly. Are believers immoral persons on occasion? Yes, it does. So why are these people called this and not this simply unbelievers? It's because a believer is not known for their sin. Think of David's sin. I think this is the perfect biblical truth. At the end of David's life, he writes a uh, psalm, and at the end of that psalm, this is at the end of his life, and at the end of the psalm, he says, No hands are tight. And it is a psalm of light. very clear because it's also put in the second sentence, as they convey. What do you mean your hands are clean? How can you say that? You, I know what you did do. I read it! How could you say your hands are clean? In God's eyes, this will drive some people absolutely crazy, but in God's eyes, David's hands were clean. You know what, what God saw when he saw David's hands? He did not see the blood of your iron hip pocket on David's hands. You know what he saw? He saw the blood of his servant. He didn't view David through the lens of being a murderer. It, it, he committed murder, yes, and he was forgiven for that sin. He paid for it dearly. But that's not how God views him. But if, if he's not received the free gift that he off. And God works at your hands, and you've got blood on it, and that's what he sees. I also have to disagree with the master that's some home that Jesus paid the penalty for every sin that's ever been committed on the cross, and it's been applied across the board. And the only sin for which Christ cannot die was the death of That's not what the Bible says. Sorry. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, speaking of one's former life, the former life of Ephesians, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Before you come to Christ, your sins have not been forgiven. While well, you paid the penalty, but you haven't received it. That's what we have here in the contrast between 7 and 8. We have the believers in 7 and the non believers in 8. That's why their place is with the second death, the lake of fire, No believer will get even close to the lake of fire. If you place your faith in Jesus, you're not going to be anywhere near the lake of fire. Then in verses 9 through 21, a more extended section. And one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven glass plagues, came and spoke and to saying, Come here. And I will show you the bride, the wife of the land. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her booth was like a very costly stone, as a stone of pure crystal jasper. And it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates were twelve angels, and the names were written on them which were those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the land. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. This, this is huge. And the city is laid out as a square, and its roof is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod. 1,500 miles. This is an approximate. It's if so you do the math from, from the Greek text, it's 1,600. something. Most, most translations round it off. 1,500 miles. It's length and width and height. They're equal. You've got to picture this for me. 1,500 miles. Can you picture 1,500 miles right now? How far do you think it is, say, from here to Denver? Maybe 1,500 miles. You want to go all the way to Billings, Montana, to do straight shot to get 1,500 miles. It's a, if it was just on flat land, this is a huge city, is it not? It's 1,500 miles, it's 12 But that's like the end of it. It's also 1,500 miles up. It's like a two. This is a massive city. And it's the most beautiful city that anybody has ever conceived. And he measured its flight. Well, Seventy-two yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. I find that interesting. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. The second sapphire. The third topaz. The fourth emerald. The fifth sardonyx. The sixth sardis. The seventh chrysolite. The eighth, Baruch, the ninth, Copas, the tenth, Christophers, the eleventh, Jehovah, the twelfth, Amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve poles. Each one of the gates was a single pole. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, is its temple. This description of the city is just remarkable. It's a huge, 1,500 bus. I can't even begin to calculate how many people could be there at one time. I don't know that we stay in the New Jerusalem all the time. It's just in. The universe is a huge place. But this does seem to be the place where we all congregate and hang out. This may be the place where Jesus has prepared a special room for us, a special place for us. But if there are other cities in the universe, I suspect that the New Jerusalem is going to be the most picturesque of all the cities in the world. And there will be no temple there because Jesus is personally present. In verse 22, I saw no temple for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lord. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it for the glory of God has illuminated it. It's light is the light. God's own glory illuminates the whole and the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for so there's no night there, the gates shall never be closed. What is that take? There's, there's no crying. there's nothing to fear. You won't lock your doors in eternity. There might not be the doors in other, right? And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unseen and no one who fights this abomination and shall ever it. in. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of I Here again, we have one of those things that prophets sometimes do. It doesn't mean that the Lamp of Fire is right outside the Jerusalem and people are wanting to get in and they won't be able to go in. No, it's just saying that the reason, reason is for believers. Those who are non-believers will not be in Jerusalem. Only those whose names are written in the Book of you, trusted Jesus, your name is in the book of well I would hope that you would not make the mistake of taking those in verse 27, not as unbelievers, but as loser believers. There's no such thing as a loser believer in the eternal state. Are you listening? No such thing as a loser believer. In the sense said, yes, some people will be rewarded more than others, but that doesn't mean if you don't have as much reward as the next person that you're with. Tiger was the greatest golfer of our generation, so even though I like Phil some better. I think Tiger. You have to say Tiger's better. Well, when Tiger was in his prime, Tiger once said in a TV interview after he finished second, he said, "You didn't, didn't care at all. I played from second under his age on the to better than Phil Mickelson." That's not the way it is in heaven. You won't be considered a loser in heaven. You have Jesus, and Jesus has you. You're his, and he is yours. How can you be considered a loser? I don't like that kind of uh, in, in the first place, if I'm going to soapbox it, I think it's arrogant to I mean, it's extremely arrogant for me to say, this person is a winner believer, and that person over there, that's a loser believer. First place, that's the bad thing. Not to it. Let's be very careful with that terminology. No one is a loser in heaven. I strongly, strongly reject the idea that there are beings. If you're there, you are victorious. You're in heaven. You're a place of no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. The old things have passed away. You're in perfect economy. How, how someone could be in heaven and have great reward, and other people have some reward, and have everybody have equal happiness? I don't know, but I know God. I then he can work that out for his career. So at least, if I may, we're going to talk about it a little bit next week when we talk about some issues with respect to the church as we do Alex's coordination. I want this church to be as loving and as kind as we can possibly be. I know there are people that attend to this church simply because other people our church show them kindness. It's the greatest apologetic. It is not common. I believe it. People don't want to hear you saying people go that church over there a bunch of weeks. First of all, you don't know. I don't know. So let's be very careful with that terminology. If you really think that, that will be plenty for them. not blind or the first. those So let's, let's be cautious with that terminology. Let's do something that might be unique in the Christian world today, and love well, what another. It doesn't mean we call what's wrong the and what's right wrong. But it does mean that even if somebody is doing something wrong, instead of condemning them, that's God's stuff. It's not my way. We need to pay for them for their turn. That's what I want our church to be known for. I want it to be known for loving kindness and an outreach to others with the gospel, with the good news of Christ, and, can I say, with good works. You, it's not that we know salvation, but to show that we truly do love the that that's us. Is that fair enough? So let's drop the leaves for technology. Now, chapter 1, verse 22. In case you're not really into minerals and streets of gold, if that didn't really impress you very much, and you're thinking, I really like trees, and I like vegetation, and I like soft grass, and I like parks, well, guess what? There's something for you, too, and there's a special tree. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the land. In, in the And on either side of the river was the Tree of Lives. Uh, how that works could be sponsored a that kind of figure figured out, could it be a tree that kind of, uh, you know, like you have certain streets where you have trees that the, the go over the, the top of the, the stream, kind of like a canopy over the stream? And on either side of the river was the Tree of Lives, bearing 12 kinds of fruit. I we eat these fruit, it, it's, which I like, because I like fruit so the think about that too. It, and which, that speaks to the point. It really does. That uh, the, we have no missing vegetables, man. Healing is fruit every month. It's a message. Healing is fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree we'll for sort the of healing of the nation. This city has not just merely wonderful stones. There's any fruit to apparently eat, and perpetual healing for the nations. I don't take the way that this is phrased to mean that there will be sickness and then the, this healing, confusion of the sickness. This is a perpetual healing. So, meaning nobody ever gets sick. They'll never be hostile. It's consistent and perpetual and permanent. It's continued. Anything that's negative will be impossible in the state. You see what they have to look forward to it's going to be absolutely ancient, as a friend of mine used to say. In verse 3, there shall no longer be any curse. And the Son of God in the land shall be in it, and his wife and shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Ever wonder what we do in heaven all day? One of the we do is we serve God. In, in the time period between our resurrection and the second advent, we know we worship God. We know that from from all the passages in Revelation. But only we worship Him for eternity, we get to serve Him for, for, for form that would take? I don't know. In verse 23, chapter 22, verse 5, it shall no longer be any night. it's shall not have need of a light a of a lamp. The light is the sun be this Lord God that illumines them. And they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, verse 6, these words and say, flung true. And the Lord God, the God of spirits and of the prophets, has sent his angel to fill his so that the things which must shortly take place. And remember, but this was written, it's still in the 6th century. So it's been 1900 years since these words, but it's still fully in this sense that when you look at the big scheme of things, the talks could start running any minute. In verse 7, And behold, I'm coming quickly. Well, I said to him, he reads he the words of the prophecy that they spoke. Now think back to the original audience, those seven churches, the, the original audience plus those who would have sent it to. He says, I'm coming quickly. You need to listen to this. Pay attention to how this is all going to work out. This is one of five times in the book of Revelation, with this phrase, I'm coming quickly, is Verse 8. And I, John, was the one who heard and these things, and when I heard and him, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who told me these things. And he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours, and, and of your brethren, the prophets, and those who read the words of this book, worship God. You don't worship the message You worship the one that the message is telling. This is twice actually John's done this. And somebody like John could get and see the temptation that people might have, this revelation is so overwhelming. God is so amazed by it. He wants to look at something and the angels want to start to play and so he wants to accept it during no. The final message begins in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecies, but for the time as is. This. So in other words, don't hold back. Let everybody know about this. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. This is not an encouragement right? to those who are currently clear, doing evil to continue to do evil. That's not what this is about. But it's a so warning that if one ignores this book, there's nothing more God can say. So... You're going to be evil, be evil, but I understand there are consequences to it. This is it. Now that you've read this, you know how it's going to work out. You've already read about the lake of fire. You no, know so no excuses. in verse 12, again, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. This is back after the judgment seat of Christ. Again, I mean, often the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed for those who wash their robes, that they may have the right of the tree life. Wash their robes as a metaphor for trusting in God. That they may have the light to the tree life, and they may enter by the gate into the city, which the gates open, but the only people in are believers in the Lord we have this conversion of contests in to outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the adulterers and everyone who loves and practices will die. These are people that are unbelievers. and not right outside the city gates. They're outside in the sense of being able to find. You have the, the believers in one place, unbelievers in right another. You know. And then finally, the, the book ends. I, Jesus, have sent my angel just to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root. And the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Luke 17, And the Spirit of the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is first to Come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cause. That's a testimony to the churches at have to And I testify that everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the city of life, but from the holy city, which are written in this book. Now, this is one of the more challenging passages, in it has to right at the, end of the book of Revelation. What's going on here? And Solidi and Jovellus, Solidi and Lemulus, have different views with respect to this. This is not arguing against what the rest of Scripture argues—that once what is is eternally saved, they are you can't breathe your salvation. But what does this mean? First, If anyone adds or takes away, your name is not written in the book of the house I've said a thousand times or more over the course of the last 25 years, there's no sin that i unbeliever going that I believe can't also commit. It looks for the world like if there is an exception and that's a big if. Yes. If there is an a this might be the place. That if you alter God's word, it may mean that you're ever a believer in the first place. Now that's those words that may have come of my mouth before, but you have to honest with this particular passage. If you're in exile, one's lost in salvation. And I would have to reject that view completely because it is contrary to the whole rest of scripture. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're not going to change divine self-disclosure. If you think back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Moses we'll said the same thing with respect to the book like, of well, Don't change a word of this. Don't change a syllable for it, because if, if you do, there's a strict, strict judgment. And here, these writers say, "Don't change a word of it." You have no right to change my word. Now, that's one evangelical you, and I, and I think that's the pretty solid do. A lot of Thomas is also an authority on the Book of Revelation, it takes a slightly different view. And Martin Thomas takes to view that this is arguing against modern-day prophets. He adheres to the what I just gave But he also believes that this is arguing against people who call themselves prophets today and add to it the completed canon of Scripture. Not interpreting the completed canon of Scripture. These are the ones say, I have a word from God. Is it in the Bible? No, it's in the Bible. Is it consistent with what's in the Bible? it's not consistent with what's in the Bible, but I have a different word from God. There are some people who do that slightly. Like I think they just fooled themselves. There's some people that do it, not quite so. And I have been in the room with one of those people. I met with him over the restaurant. There was some somebody in our church asked me to meet with me this fellow because he had some really incredibly strange ideas. I mean, incredibly strange ideas. I listened to him. When I left, I, I have to put it to when I left and robots off to By the time I got from Turn the corner, back the Yes, we're headed back toward the Beltway. It's about where your house is. I had such such pains. I thought I was going to have to pull over and call Cindy or call somebody to get to take take me to the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack. That stressed me out that badly. Listening to this guy's views, he was a prophet, and he had some views that were just so incredibly far out there. I was thinking even at the time, I never do this passage. I was thinking even at the time, there's no way this guy's guy's a Lord Jesus. No way he's a believer. Well, just to come up with this kind of stuff. Now, again, I don't know what's in his soul, but I know what he was say. Maybe, according to a lot of times, maybe that's what's going on. If you have people that are that far out there who are calling themselves prophets, when we were in, in Nigeria, the time before last, there was a man who called themselves a fake the prophet. But I didn't speak at this particular video. I was speaking in another venue, but Moses and Joseph James, we're going to speak on the same venue with the Pink And The Pink prophet had about five thousand people, there. and the stuff he was saying, when he said "came from God," was some of the most vile, immoral, perverse. I will not say because it's a of, The stuff he was saying was as perverse as you could possibly imagine. And he was saying God gave me this word, and then a lot of had to. It was just disgusting. I don't think for this the Pink prophet. is even close to stuff. I yes, mean, that may be, according to our times, that may be the type of person that's being referenced. Here, nonetheless, don't let you drop the book. Just take it seriously. Finally, in verses 20 and 21, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming, quickly, and I will what John does and she concludes. Can I can I put it in a colloquial way? Jesus has said five times in Revelation, "I'm coming quickly." John times says at the end, "Okay, Lord, if this is how it's going to be, let's get it." Now, I know there's going to, have to be a lot of pain that we go through first to get to this point, but if this is going to be how it all ends up, then let's get this point straight. Let's get it done. And so ends the book of Revelation. There's one final benediction: the grace of the Lord Jesus. Is your and in the end, God And since we're union with Christ, we will be victorious as well. When you leave this earth and go on into eternity, it's going to be far better than anything that you have ever imagined in your life. And Lewis wrote to a friend of his who he thought was dying. They we were corresponding after Lewis had a his heart attack. He was corresponding with her and he said, now, has this life been so kind to you that you cling to it so it He said, there are far, far better things ahead than we knew we'd It's anything the book of Revelation has taught There are far, far better things.